Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, the Second World War podcast for any new listener who is unaware of what exactly we get up to on this uh, on this podcast. Where we or talk if, you're, about- if, you're, if you're on the other side of the herring pond, then it's World War II. World War II, the 1939 and 1945. Well, <laughs> well, no, 1941 to 1945. I apologise, I got ahead of myself there. <laughs> <laughs> The world at war. The world at war. Um, uh, how are you, Jim? You're back because last uh, uh, time we spoke, you were in Freiburg looking at the yes, German. I was, I was in the Vaterland, and I'm, the, I'm now <laughs> I'm in now the back. Militärisch Archiv, weren't you? Yes, behind enemy lines, etc., etc. Lovely, lovely. Um, but yes, no, now back safely. I've um, got back across the channel. Great. Landed on a on a secret strip just um, <laughs> in my Lysander. Well, Heathrow. <laughs> Gatwick, actually. Oh, awful. right. Okay. Oh, well, there definitely is airport yeah, second yeah. choice. Yeah, to be okay. avo- <laughs> Definitely to be avoided. <laughs> and did you, was it good, good, good hunting? Did you find what you're looking for? Yeah, it for? was pretty good hunting, actually. It was pretty good. And actually, it ended with me going to the, um, to the uh, Targa's Book Archive in, um, mm. Um, in Emmendingen, which is literally only about ten miles down the road from from Freiburg, yeah. Yeah. and and the Tagebuch Archive is um, obviously the diary, the National Diary Archive, and I came across this extraordinary chap um, who wrote vociferous numbers of letters. I mean, just extraordinary numbers, um, but also kept a diary. And and there's this little kind of shoebox of 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 diaries going all the way back from just before the start of the war, right through to kind of 1947. And you know the type. They're kind of small. They've got little tiny little pages. They're only about three inches high by, you know, inch and a half wide. Tiny thin paper, all written in beautiful kind of sort of ink pen. Yeah. Uh, and I opened the one for 1944. First page, there's a four-leaf clover. Very carefully kind of taped in. Oh, wow. Yeah. It obviously works. He made it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what yeah. else was really touching about it was there was another notebook there. Mm. And... It was clear that he, he was a company commander in one of the Gebirgsjäger divisions, one of the mountain yeah, divisions. Yeah. So I guess he was at fifth, probably the fifth mountain division. So he, yeah. he would have been in the fifty-first mountain corps. Yeah. And L one, and he um, he obviously took a lot of, you know, he was obviously one of those people that was slightly more humane and took care of his men and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, he had a little notebook so that when his comrades were were killed. He had all their up-to-date information so that he, he would use as to a... Write to their families. Write to their families. Wow. Really amazing. It was really quite something to see. Well, that's a good officer then, isn't it? That's what that is. Yeah, I think it, I think it was. And, and he was yeah. a little bit older and he was married and had kids and all the rest of it. And you can... I don't know. It was, it was just... It was, it was touching. It was, it was a reminder, if any, was needed. But, you know, 
it's all about the humans involved. It's all yeah. about individuals. And, and you, you know, they, I might, mean, they you... might have been on the wrong side, but, they, you know, they're clearly not all kind of, they're not all Nazi bastards and they're not all bad. And, you know. Yeah. And have you, uh, have you got enough now to, 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 have you cast it yet? Are you fully cast or are you still? Well, I've started the casting progress process now and I'm going through the kind of sort of roughs of, you know, thousands of photographs that I've taken over the last two and a half weeks. And, you know, they all need to be organized, put back into, because you, you know, you might, photograph a whole file and that might be you know 120 photographs so you need to get those 120 photographs put them into a file yeah join them all up put them into a pdf yeah reduce the file size make the whole thing manageable yeah and that's all that, that'll take me a week to get all that done to be yeah. perfectly honest but um but yeah that's no, good but i've had a i've had a very nice weekend because yeah. i've been reading i've I, I was lucky enough to read your book um in, in an early gestation Yes, uh, and, and now I've been reading it in, in its final gestation, and um, I've got to say I've I have been unbelievably impressed. I, oh, I think it's you. incredibly good, Al. Thanks, um, Jim. And I know everyone who listens to this is going to go, "Well, of course he's going to say that. He's his mate, and he's on the podcast with him. Yeah. I mean, what else can he to say?" And I know there's that old adage, "Show don't tell." Yeah. Um, um, but. To a certain extent, folks, you're just going to have to trust me on this. It is, it is unbelievably good. Uh, and I found your, I found even your introduction, which I hadn't read before, yeah. very arresting. And I thought, and it was an interesting point because basically what you're saying is, have I got this right? Um, is that, yeah, 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 it's all operational level, it's all statistics, and it's all kind of 45% on, on spent by the, you know, on the German yeah. economy, on the Luftwaffe and all the rest, which shows that the emphasis is more West than East, you know, a la. Yeah. Phillips, Payson, O'Brien, all the rest of it. And yeah, 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 you know, industrialization and numbers. But it's still got a massive human dimension. And yeah. I found that really resonated. And, I've, and I think, you know, you, with all these arguments, these new kind of academic ways of looking at things, and I think Phil takes it, I think his work has been invaluable and really, really yeah. interesting. But you can take that too far because you can't dehumanize something which is fundamentally a human experience. And I think that's what you're, that's what you're, Bringing, that's your thesis in this book. And I think you were right. You, I mean, you point out that this is not about naval commanders. It's not about airmen. This is about land commanders. Because ultimately, you can say how much you like about naval importance, and you can say how much you like about, about air importance, but ultimately, it's still boots on the ground what yeah. takes land. Yeah. In, in uh, the, and in, and in you're not going to win. Uh, in yeah. the end, you've still got to get up that mountain, cross that river, yeah. take that city, Get that bit of desert, whatever it is. Well, as the Allies discovered that you can flatten cities all you like, but in the end you have to you have to go to Berlin, you have to go to the capital yeah. to to bring this thing to an end. Actually, and that if you if what you want to do is rewrite things politically completely, which is what they've decided they have to do. My favourite, well, it's not so much the quote, but it's who it's said to, right? So. Um, it's Stalin, you know, at the celebration meeting, the Moscow Soviet of Working People's Deputies and Moscow Party of Public Organisations, right, says, you know, this is a war of engines. It's impossible to have too many of them. The side having the largest number of engines is bound to win. And he says that in, in um, November of 1941, right, when when he's really up to his neck in it. But he's still yeah. he's he's able to say that he says that confidently and he's and he's he's right to an extent. But but you hardware is one thing. It's the the people, the software is the way I I, I sort of see it, you know, mm. because after all, you're asking people to spend their lives um, on this, and no matter how much stuff you've got, and there are you know there are obviously various moments in the war where the allies the allies have con considerable material advantage and still can't quite get it to work, yeah, and that's because it's people, 
it's 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 people and the people and the people leading them and the people leading them you know cuz cuz the, the reason i've got francis tuca for 1942 is cuz cuz 1942 is the janus faced year of the second world war where mm. you're looking back at back at defeat and forward to victory you know like like almost smack in the middle of the year yeah and and you're literally it literally is the middle of the year because it, it, it's kind of May May June yeah, is the kind yeah, of yeah 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 when, when things have it? gone have gone so badly and then start to and then start to knit themselves together yeah and of course that coincides with when the the decent kit arrives but you've also got to be able to use the kit you've got to figure that out too and you can have all you know all the all the material advantages the allies allies have particularly in you know intelligence which is after all one of the stories we like to tell ourselves, reassure ourselves that our our intelligence effort was better than the German intelligence effort, particularly the British sort of business end of Enigma and all that. But it's a much, much more complex picture than that. And also you can, you know, as in Crete, you can know the enemy's intentions, but if you aren't, if you haven't figured out what actually to do about them, prioritised properly your defences, properly got, a, a, you know, for instance, a radio net that works, that means you don't, you don't, have all sorts of harebrained commands that get diluted the further down the chain they go, you know. Um, none of it. Well, counts- or if, or if you're you're simply not a good enough commander to be able to deal with the information that's coming through. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, ignorance and, would be bliss, wouldn't it? I mean, is you're better off without it. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's. I mean, it's because this is the this is really what, the, and this is also why I end up on Peter White at the end of the book because I'm trying to say. You know, because we talk, there's a lot of people in the book. It's basically, it's going across their desk. And yes, they go and, yes, they go and see their battalion commanders sometimes. And yes, they go and do their sort of front, front you know, I mean, we talked about this last week with, with Mark Clark, whether it's, whether it's PR or whether it's leadership, I, you, you tell me the difference in the 1940s. I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I necessarily see one, but they're, but they're necessarily bundled together. But but actually, when you're Peter White and you don't you know you don't know who's on your left flank, who's on your right flank, what that hill even is, whether it's the last hill you're going to have to take in this series of um, attacks, or whether it's just another one and you're going to have to do another one tomorrow, whether this start line's the last start line before you're you know, and so on. Well, yeah, I, I've got to say, and I, I think the Peter White chapter is 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 among my favourites in the book, and actually, there's a bit here where he, where he's just. He's going out, and, and there's a sort of irony of that. He's a, you know, he's in the King's Own Scottish Borderers. They're part of the 52 Lowland Division. They're the Lowland Division, but they've been trained in mountain, mountain fighting. Yeah, they're kind of in, they're in reserve. But when yeah. they do get brought over, they're not doing any mountains. They're doing Lowland stuff, which, as their name suggests, is appropriate. But actually, as their training suggests, is completely inappropriate. Yeah, and, and they're like Johnny Come Latelys, and yet, boy, do they kind of make up for that in the in yeah. the ensuing months. And there's this great yeah. bit you say where you say. His training would be excellent, he thought. Battle school had done what it could to get him used to the idea of combat, and he had been subjected to exhaustion beyond all his previous experience. But in the end, he didn't know if he was ready. The yeah. biggest unknown factor <coughs> was the mental reaction of the individual, especially of those in responsibility. What part would fear play? How well could it be overcome or hidden? The tense realisation dawned ever larger that the lives of one's friends and one's own life would depend on split-second decisions in an unknown world of utter chaos. And I think what's really, really interesting about this whole chapter is it underlines, if ever you needed underlining, 
but literally the worst job you could have in the entire Second World War, pretty much, on an, in the Allied armies at any rate, probably any army, frankly, is a platoon or company commander. I think being a platoon commander in the infantry is the is the, and I'm you know I'm sure other 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 arms within with you know within the army were so actually because there's that terrible instant where the, where that um, all those sappers are killed because they're. Um, uh, um, uh, anti-tank mines all go up, and they go up in a great long daisy chain up the line yep. that they're bringing up. Yep. Now that's that's quite clearly a, t- a terrible job too. But I think being a I think bl- being a platoon commander in the infantry is the shortest straw of all. And, yeah, and, and uh, that really comes across, and, and and it's a it's a brilliant way to end the book because it's a reminder that you can have your patterns and you can have your monties yeah. and you can have these guys at the top of the chain, but actually. Yes, again, this is about people, but it's also about people at the bottom of the line too, making decisions and making those split-second decisions which you're talking about. And crikey, I mean, of all the studying I've done of it, of all the people I've spoken to, of all the kind of memoirs, diaries I've read, it's just, it's heart-stopping every single time. Yeah. Because you just think, you know, obviously my mind is now on Italy at the moment and southern Italy and that kind of grim winter and, autumn into winter into spring of scrabbling through these mountains with their mule trains and having to make kind of terrible decisions and the casualness of the violence and the brutality of it and the utter difference of experience that most of these people in Peter White's position would be discovering. So one minute you're kind of, you're having quite a half decent life, you know, half decent upbringing, half decent house. Loving parents, family, all the rest yep. of it. Bed to sleep in, creature comforts. The next minute, you're transported into this just awfulness. Yeah. And of course, weather does make it worse. Uh, and yeah, and I did get that note about as James Holland goes on ad nauseum. By the way, <laughs> you made a footnote, Jim. You got yourself into a footnote. I, I mean, feel, the I, thing is, I feel quite flattered. But 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 you know, it it is. You know. We can't imagine it because we haven't done it, but you can you you can get a taste of it. You can get an understanding of it, I think. I think you can you 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 know, we've we've all been in the cold, in the wet, out for a walk in the driving rain, or kind of walk through mud, or I yeah. don't know, been on a hike where it's all gone horribly wrong and the mist has come in or whatever, and you and you feel wretched and cold and wet and all you're longing for is a is a cup of tea or a yeah. cup of soup or a, a decent bed or whatever. And then magnify that times Hundred, yeah, and, you, and you're getting somewhere, aren't you? And, and- well, yes. I mean, the, the 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 thing with the thing that he talks about, and he and he talks about it a lot and at length in in that book, is the difference between you and the dead man is nothing. There's there's the 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 dead man next to you. It 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 could so easily be you, but it isn't. And uh, uh, and all the conversations you're having are with people who could who could be dead. Any second, who could die any moment, or you could die any moment, and you, the, 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 what, what's the difference? How can you live in that in that state of sort of permanent, uh, 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 you know, the, the idea that there is no future, that, that there you can't bet, you cannot bet on anything at all, and and he talked white talks yeah, yeah, about yeah, that because you got white, this line, haven't you? Go, I glanced around at all the rugged, friendly faces and felt reassured. We were all in the same boat, but it was difficult not to wonder a bit to think of the families of each at home. Where would each be in a couple of days, a week hence? Yeah, 
<laughs> could yeah. be five minutes. Ends, I mean, it could, and, well, and that's it because because that 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 chapter centers all centers around a, 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 this ambush they find themselves in. Yeah, and of course, thirty two those thirty two sappers they get. Yeah, well, well, there's thirty two sappers are blown up, but when they when they when they're patrol, they they're big asked to flush a wood out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. they go into this wood, yeah. and um, uh, and first of all, there's some there's some German civilians who live in a cottage in the wood. Yeah. Who basically all kind of like give them a guilty look and then and then bugger off, like because they know they must know where the where the where the Germans are or something. You know they're tangled yeah. up in in what in the drama, but they've been told there's no artillery support, there's no tanks, but they've got to do it anyway. So in they go. It all goes. It goes. It goes horribly wrong. He has to leave two men behind, um, one of whom he, a guy called Biles, one of whom he put on a charge the day before. So it's That's all right. this heartbreak of. Um, you know, and he and he regrets putting him on a charge. And Biles has had enough. Biles is sick of going forward. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, it has done enough start lines for a lifetime. And you could argue one start start line is enough for an entire lifetime. But they've been doing it over and over and over and over again. And um, and the next day, uh, yeah. And that's the point, bud. But the point is, they've been doing it over and over and over and over again, despite being incredibly late into the war, effectively. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, they're just chucked completely in the deep end. But the but but the thing is, is and then the next day there are artillery and tanks, and they can they they do have support. So the whole thing. But Biles gets wounded, doesn't he? But, well, Biles dies. But Biles, he dies. But, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dies overnight. Um. Well, but 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 this this thing that that. None of it need none of it need to have happened if they'd had if the tanks and artillery had been available they wouldn't they needn't have done it it need so that so these lives are spent on you know de, a, 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 very often the lives are lost because of delay or because of you know someone's needed somewhere else and you're not you're not the people who can call in what you need yeah. and all this sort of thing and he's content he's contending with being the last person in all those decision chains and basically his company commander says well. It's your turn today, Peter. Um, you know, uh, sorry, we haven't got any tanks, haven't got any artillery. Anyway, you know that because the tanks can be a pain in the ass. The tanks can get tangled up and shoot at the wrong people and all that. So let's so let's not worry about it. Good luck, you know. Yeah. And and yeah. and what's yeah, also yeah. interesting is uh, you know in the chapter before that I talk about um, you know Sixth Airborne Division and, and their sort of baked in kind of mission command or whatever you want to call it, right? So they aren't calling it that, but basically that O group. That, that by by this point in the war, the O group that that um, uh, 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 Peter White goes to is okay. Peter, there's a wood here. We need you to clear it out. You know what to do. Crack on. There's no there That's the that's the extent of the orders, and that's that's experienced people, you know, who've been essentially they've trained and then they've learned on the job as well. That's that's your Alfstrag tactic or whatever your mission commander, whatever you want to call it. They don't. They, it isn't the idea of the prescriptive. You will take this hill. You will advance no further. It's that wood needs clearing out, chaps. On you go. You know what to do. And this sort of shaken down thing that happens to the British Army, you know, three or four times during the war, where it has to learn its trade again um, and learn its trade for the different environments. Each new environment it finds itself in, it has to sort of relearn and readapt. And and he's the he's the product of the of the six years of of the army getting serious, the army getting the right kit. The army getting the right ideas, and then the army figuring out, out how to keep people motivated, <laughs> right, at, right at the end of the bloody thing, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's really, really, you know, he has to, and then he has to figure out how to motivate himself as well. So, of so, course, of so, course, because so that, that's the biggest challenge of all. When you, well, you of know, course, you know, and a million all, miles, everything, your everything in your brain is going hide under that tree. 
you know, yeah. behind that, hide, hide yeah. behind that rock, and don't put your your yeah. face in the firing. Well, what's line, the point you? of any of this? And you yeah, know, not uh, not much is a joke yeah. by that stage. Yeah. I mean, he's really, really interesting though because he writes. I mean, the thing is, as you said, he he's from South. He's from South Africa, Surrey via South Africa. He wants to be an artist, you know, and he's he, he, what he's he's fourteen or something when the war starts. So. So maybe it'll be over by the time it's his turn. And then it isn't. And he's essentially, he's, a, he's religious, he's a pacifist. And yet he finds himself as a, as a, as a platoon commander uh, doing that, as, you, as, we, as we've said, the hardest, the worst job of the lot, the hardest and job of the lot. And you're 19. I know, I know. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. That's so absurd. But it's I mean, you know, I still think of my son, Ned, as being kind yeah. of ludicrously young. And yeah. he's now 21. Yeah. You know, and I remember going to the Reichswald Cemetery and seeing that, you know, Lieutenant... Reese, whatever his name was, yeah, survived one day in battle with the Sherwood Rangers while being killed, and you know he was nineteen, yeah, and and yeah, jeepers, it just but you, you know, but the, but, that, just... but that's but that's a double edged thing anyway because you need you need young people because they because basically, you know, thirty five year olds can't do this because it's too exhausting, even the fittest you know thirty year olds find this basically no, too exhausting. That. You know, so first of all, there's that. Secondly, they might have a family, so they might have a completely different view of the world. They might have kids, so they might think that. that, that and also, by the time you're in, by the time you're that much older, you don't think you're indestructible anymore. So, who else are you going to get to do it? You need young people who are said who ought to be who ought to be being irresponsible. Who ought well, to be, I, I remember looking you know, at the um, at the Malta Brigade's attack on Regal Buto, and I was talking yeah. to, I was with the British Army, and I was talking to some some colonel, and he said, said, the one thing you can be absolutely certain of, as long as there's 18-year-olds, there will be wars. Yeah. Uh, and, you yeah, know, he's, he's right. But my point is, is as a 19-year-old, that, that's one thing, you know, if, if you've joined up, you know, you've gone to Sandhurst or you've gone to West Point yeah. or wherever, you yeah. know, you've done that because you, you want to serve, you want to be in the army, you want to you want to do your bit. But the point about someone like Peter White is he's a pacifist, doesn't want to be there at all. Yeah, 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 know, yeah. And you're there and it's thrust upon you and you're – and at 19, you are still very, very callow. You know, even if yeah. you're, you know, very mature for your age, you, you know, you know shit all, don't you? I mean, you yeah. know nothing about life. Yeah, yeah. And, what, and, and, then and, what, and um, suddenly um, you're there you are, being expected to make life and death decisions in a split second, as yeah. Peter White mentioned. I mean, what's so interesting, what's, it, what's what really interesting with him, though, is he, is you do, he does, he does um, communicate that the full extent of his responsibilities as a subaltern. So he tells you, he, he really does, you, you, you kind of learn everything, everything he has to do. And his big bugbear is um, when he comes up to, when they move into new positions and the condition of the positions of, that the previous uh, occupants have kept them in and whether they've been, whether they've had discipline about noise and whether they've had discipline about moving about and all that sort of stuff. Cause he's very, he's very, very hot on that. Cause of course, if you keep the noise down and if you, if you move about, I'm um, in a concealed way. You know, you, you're you, you, the enemy won't the enemy won't clock where you are. The enemy won't figure out where you are, and won't you won't be easier to attack. And that's right. that. You know, that is one of his duties: arriving in a position and going right. Okay, well, the the previous lot, his guards are in before us. They've they've been very very noisy here, so we're probably going to need to dig somewhere else. We're probably going to need to figure out a way to make these positions work for us where they haven't already attracted attention to themselves. And he's doing—he's doing all that. He's—he's—and he's, he's obviously he's reading their mail. He's—he's um, he's making sure they're fed. He's making sure their weapon—you know—obviously weapons clean first. He's doing all that stuff, making sure they're getting enough sleep, making sure that, that 
patrolling happens. And one of the things he ends up doing is he takes on all the patrolling um, yeah. in with the trucks. It makes it clear that he basically tries to take on all the patrolling responsibility so his men can sleep. And his descriptions of patrolling, you know, when he's had an hour's sleep himself and he comes back and he, he can't remember where, quite where his lines are and he can't oh, really remember Jesus, where. can you, know, you imagine? Uh, well, yeah, and you, you, hope that, you hope that in the end the sentry has got the wit about him to realise you're not a German crashing around in the dark and you're a... And you're, you're a but, but again, it's, it's, it's sort of... You know, it's quite dangerous just crashing about in the dark now. I mean, if I was yeah, yeah, to yeah. sort of go out in the middle of the night and start wandering around the woods or whatever, the chance of me yeah. falling over and kind of stabbing myself on a... or walking into a sticking out bit of yeah, branch yeah, exactly. or, yeah. you know, any number of things that, or, or getting tangled up the barbed wire quite high, I would say. Yeah. And then you're doing that with lots of people kind of, you know, pointing guns at you and, Look, and, yeah, looking and, to and trip you. wires yeah. and miles yeah. looking to kill yeah. you. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just sort of, you, you sort of scarcely can, can comprehend it, can you? And yeah. I, you know, yeah. it's sort of also, reading that Peter White chapter kind of reminded me again of that, that sort of last year's, last month's of the war going through Germany, the Sherwood Rangers having to go on, you know, someone had to be on point. Yep. You know, someone had to lead the regiment through the wood. Yeah. You know, and it's C Squadron's turn this time, and it's, yep. you know, number four troops' turn. And if whoever's up front, you are going to get attacked. It's just yeah. literally as certain as kind of night follows day. I mean... Yeah. Imagine the tension. You imagine how kind of uptight, and you know that kind of the end of the war is just around the corner. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the the you know the the really the I mean that's what's interesting about about the Peter White stories. He comes in for the end of the war, and, the, and the, there's no sense that it's the end of the war when you're yeah. when you're fighting a you know a, 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 an SS cadet camp who are all desperate to get who are desperate to kill or be killed. You know, it's um. Serenous. Anyway, let's take a quick break. We'll be we'll be back in a second uh, so that Jim can carry on bigging up my book. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with uh, uh, me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Of course, um, we're talking about um, this is the trade paperback. Um, I went I went in today to sign sort of 500 copies for the publisher and then and, and um, no pictures of cricket matches or anything no pitch no that's that's um uh on wednesday when i go to cole's books and i have <laughs> i have uh the, the ones for the ic A similar to, number for the ic member. yes yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I i funnily enough i went um i was killing time in leeds on saturday well hold on and- a i was just gonna tell me that hold that thought for a minute yeah go on because before you do that, you, you promised that I was going to pick up your book, and I and I, I oh, go like on, then to. yeah, carry on, yeah. yeah, yeah, I would like to for a minute, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll go back to Leeds in a minute. Um, because it's, I think it's really interesting because I've been spending an awful lot of time in the last couple of months thinking about what is it that makes a good book. You know, wh- what is it? I, I, I think complacency is the danger of anybody and anything, but but I think particularly so. Um, with writing history, you know, what is it you're trying to do with a history book? And I know what yeah. I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, I'm trying to entertain people. I'm, I'm trying to inform people in the, in the, in a way that urges people to kind of turn the page and read on and get through to the yeah. end. But whilst having the kind of the, the requisite amount of authority, so that the person who's reading it feels they can trust me and trust my knowledge and, and my authority on this particular subject, yeah. and it's such a 
I've touched on it before, but it's such a hard thing to do. And so with my Italy book, what I'm trying to do at the moment is trying to think, what, what, you know, what's the fourth wall? Is, is there a fourth wall in which you can sort of knock it down? Do you just have to tell the story chronologically? Yeah. You know, this is what happened. These are the main players. This is my analysis and a bit of kind of description. And I, I, I think there is something more that one can do. And I think what, what you've done, just, just absolutely straight up, is written a book which feels completely fresh and different to anything else that's come before. And I mean that in a very, very good way, because <laughs> you want to – each chapter is, is self-contained, but, is, but, but part of a bigger thesis. So that all completely works. They're all really entertaining and int- – they're entertaining reads. The, the, the writing style is incredibly good. It makes you want to read on. But it's also full of new information and new perspectives. And I think that's what's – it's that combination of a lightness of touch with the, with, the, with the writing, but really moving parts as well, particularly, you know, something like the, the Peter White chapter. But you want, to, you want to be challenged to think of things in a different way, and that's what it's doing. And trust me, I've read so many books about the Second World War, <laughs> and I would say the vast majority of them are really boring. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't put kind of sort of memoirs in that that category. Although no. there's quite a few boring memoirs as well. But the vast majority of general histories on the Second World War are not good. They're poor. They mm. just are. They're, they're not interestingly written. They've they've either waited too far on one direction or the other. They they're either so kind of um, fluffy with the writing that you don't trust the authority, or they're so authoritative and, and academic and boring that they're just yeah. you know, dollars dishwater. And I think you've nailed it. I really, really do think you've nailed it. I think you're saying something really interesting. It feels authoritative. You're saying something new. You're saying fresh perspectives. And it's all done in a really entertaining, compelling form. Well, thanks, Jim. Bravo. That's very, very, very very kind of you. Funnily enough, I was on on Thursday last week. I, I went to the Grafton Arms, uh, Jimmy Grafton's pub, the, 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 where the Goon Show was born. Oh, fantastic! Um, for a meeting with um, some some of the London independent companies. So, oh, nice. Uh, uh, Ant Bomber oh. Brentall organised it all, and they gave me a framed photograph of my grandfather James um, uh, and the officers in his battalion in 1939. Oh, so yeah, a really that lovely thing. Yeah, look, really a lovely thing, thing to give me. That he'd got from the rifles depot and a, and yeah, a nice. copy as well, for a copy for my mother as well, which was really lovely because it was her birthday on Friday. So, uh, 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 friend, but we got talking. What are you going to write next? You know, and I'm thinking, ah. well, that's very sweet of you guys because you've not you've not read this one yet, so you may not ask me that again. But yeah. um, and and they're obviously, inevitably, you're going to write a book about Market Garden, and and you know what, or about Arnhem, and the way, of course, we descended into Arnhem chat. It's the nature of the beast, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. But the thing is, the reason I, the reason I, that isn't the first, you know, you, you might expect that that be a book I'd write. The massive problem with that, how on earth do you write a new book about that? How on earth do you approach that and write? Uh, uh, because all the accounts are completely baked in. Even the way, I mean, it's really interesting. Even the way you tell the story of the second half of the week after the bridge has fallen, they're in the perimeter. Those days, all any account you read, the, 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 the Thursday, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the Wednesday gets a fair bit of stuff. Then the Thursday and the Friday of that week and the Saturday, basically just kind of 
It's a series of incidents that always, you always get told about in any account you read, and those chapters get shorter and shorter because it's essentially repetitive. And there seems to be, there's no other way of writing about it. There's no new way to pop into the into it. Because I, I remember ages ago we talked about this before, and I said, I'm thinking of just doing one day. You do the Tuesday where everything goes to shit, where the, where the, where the, bridges, the bridges in Jeff, you know, they're under massive pressure. They can't get into the town. The, 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 you know, the, the stuff in the woods goes horribly wrong. And you just do the one day. Because there's just no point trying to t- trying to write a fresh book about what happens in Arnhem. It's because it has been absolutely done. The subject of this book is that is for me the absolute is the question. Because if it's allied, if allied preponderance of stuff and operational art is the thing that wins the war, it still doesn't answer the question of how how they won, or why it, it took that time, or, or why it took that time, or, 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 or the form that it took. Yeah, why they were going wrong, where they were going yeah, wrong, and all that. Because just... I'm, I'm very convinced by the kind of, you know, the two strategic earthquakes, but otherwise it was all to a large extent preordained. I kind of yeah. think, I think broadly speaking, it was. But I do think you know there are a number of obviously there's a huge number of variables. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing you, is, you said... and how it how it played out is is down to individual commanders, yeah. as, as you're pointing out in this book. Um, and very convincingly too, and also and, and odd moments and odd decisions and and particular yeah. aspects of those specific commanders. So you know your your chapter on Monty isn't about Monty and his overriding arrogance uh, in the Battle of Bulge or something. I mean, it's it's you know you're taking a completely different take on that, and I think that's yeah. really well. I'm not really interested. Refreshing. In, I'm just not interested in that because you could. Do we have to? Do we have to tell that story again? Right. Who cares? No. You know, if you want that, if you want that, you can go and get it. It's every. It's literally everywhere. And also, I think, you know, um, again, it's the thing we talked about on Thursday. We got into, you know, like that, like that, that, that. Um, but the interesting, the interesting thing about Montgomery isn't whether he was a a, a, a pain in the ass or not. I'm not, not interested in that at all. And you look at the system he's trying to. The operate interesting in. is, is his, his approach and how he how he approaches yeah. command and yeah, yeah, and the system he's operating. And the system he's operating within mm. hasn't yet figured that out. And uh, 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 an awful lot yeah. of what what the book's about is the penny dropping. That, yes. You know, yeah, you, yeah, 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 you've yeah. got to professionalize, and you've got to, you know, because I think. And you've got to work. We've got to work with the parameters you've been given. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, if you've got someone who's really good but is a pain in the ass, like Patton, and Patton, Patton, arguably should not have come back after the slapping instance. He should not have come back. You can argue that 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 that's he's gone too far, especially with the Citizen Army. That you've he's blown it. But but you know he's he's hired, fired and rehired in pretty quick order because they know they need someone that good. That 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 that. that that, that they can't squander someone with that kind of talent, and I think that's really, really interesting because it because it it actually tells you what the American priority is. It's winning. It's winning the war, and what they've got to do is manage their citizen soldiers rather than kind of be led by them. And I think that's really, really, that's really, really interesting, especially because American public opinion has been so volatile about the question of of even entering a war and then when they when they do recruit an army when there is no war on it causes them all sorts of problems politically you know like they'd almost run away with themselves you know yeah. questions of morale and and questions of extending the draft and all that sort of stuff and uh, and extending people's service which is the really controversial one you know when people have been in for their they've been in for their 18 months or their year or whatever and then the war starts and they're like oh, 
sorry, you're still in the army. And the problems that the problems that causes in a country that's never had a standing army. Yeah. And it's all it's all or not not a major one. It's all really, really all that's really, really interesting. And it's about the Ameri- the penny drops of the Americans, you know. Pat might be a, he might be might be a, a, a complete pain in the ass. He might have done the worst thing he possibly can, actually, which is to slap a slap a soldier who's got combat fatigue. Who cares? Who yeah. cares? We need we need men like that, actually. Yeah, because this, this, this is this is we've got to get yeah, this, this is done. Our war. We've got to get it done. Yeah, yeah. But I think what's what's interesting though, because I think you you know that that. that some of this isn't inevitable. Some, you know, that some of this isn't inevitable. I think if the if the British had the British had got their heads on their ideas squared away sooner, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have needed to fight El, uh, uh, um, the Second Battle of El Alamein at El Alamein. You might have been able to fight it somewhere far further west. Um, you know, if Tobruk hadn't fallen and your supply lines were all located that much further west, because the Gazala Line battle hadn't been such a calamity and, and that's because the british haven't got their they haven't got their head straight yet and they haven't figured out what what it is they need to do and the people they need to prioritize and the methods they need to prioritize to to make the war winnable and that that's the the flux that's what the, the start of 1942 you know as we say the janus face here looking back to defeat and forwards to victory and there's that yeah but but at every step of the way they're also they're finding new circumstances for the first time so so oh, yeah, overall yeah, yeah, yeah. they're they're kind of you know their understanding is improving yeah but but you know you go from the contrast of the north african desert to an island such as sicily yeah such as mountains in winter and raging torrents and blown bridges in southern italy yeah to normandy to arnhem to suddenly peter white arriving in the lowland division yeah you know, and every at every step of the way, it's there are principles that work. You know, battle schools and all the rest of it. You yeah. know, the like training under live firing. Of course, that all that all counts for a for a, for a, a decent amount. But at every step, the Allies are facing new conditions, yeah, new scenarios which yeah. they have to adjust to. And, well, and of course, the, the the pressure they impose on the enemy causes the enemy to change. To change what it's doing, <laughs> yes, escalate. because the enemy's not just standing still either. Well, exactly, and escalate and accelerate, and 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 also, you know, dig dig in in peculiar ways, in, in ways that are unexpected. You know, yeah. I mean, after all, the Normandy battle isn't expected to pan out the way it does at all. It, it, it no, nope. they don't. They don't expect the Germans to be so stupid as to stay under the naval guns. They don't no. think. They don't think anyone's going to be that daft. Because no, why would they, you? But, but, the other, but, but the other, but the other thing I think you you do you bring out really well is this whole stuff about about seventy ninth armoured and and Hobart and, <laughs> and and I think and I suppose that that brings you on to kind of you know this this notion of how we tell the narrative of the Second yeah. World War and the, the, there's been some sort of there's been some tr- some very obvious trends haven't there about yeah. how you tell it and we've talked about the bigger trends of kind of sort of you know belittling the. Allied Western Allied effort, and yeah, big, uh, the the expense of the skill, the you know the tactical skill of the Germans and all this kind of stuff, and the impressive losses of the or, or, or terrible losses rather of, of the Eastern Front. Yeah, but actually, there's there's a sort of narrative which emerges at a kind of much smaller level, and one of them is that you talk about funnies on D-Day, but then you never mention them ever again. Yeah, yeah, and, then and, actually- and, I, and I thought that's fascinating, and I think I think it's it's fascinating that you know they. The, the part that 79th Armoured plays and becoming such an integral part 
of the way the British Army moves forward and Canadian Army moves forward. Yeah. But they vanish. They vanish into the story. But absolutely, every attack in Veritable that you might read about, four flails go forward. Well, that's okay. That's 79th Armoured then. And a, cro- a crocodile comes out, 79th Armoured. That, that's that's who that is. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think one of the reasons is, is people don't understand that the seventy nine armored division is not operating as a division. Yeah, it's 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 training as as a division, and then its component parts are then being spread to the four winds once yeah. you get onto the continent, and and it's needed elsewhere. Uh, and I think and that's, that's really fascinating because that's unique, and so that's the other reason I suspect it's not really talked about because people don't really understand how that how that works. And yet. What are the lessons that are baked into that, that, that you train people who are, are flexible enough to fit in with anyone? You know, there's the, 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 when, yeah. when cro- crocodiles go in and help the Americans out, they're, lo- they're promised some crocodiles, they, the Americans call that debt in, and they're blown away by the fact that th- these, these lads from 79th Armoured, they turn up with their crocodiles, they, they're used to working with different people. Um, yeah, in, they're used to slotting in. They're used to just slotting in. They know how to slot in. They know they, they're, and they're also very good at making clear what they're going to do and explaining how what they do works, which I think is obviously the other, the other is the flip of, of any, you know, any, it's a reciprocal relationship. And they're really, really good at that. And, and what's it is Hobart, Hobart has been, you know, in the 30s, he's an inflexible sort of self-contained tank formation guy. And he ends up with a, with a tank formation that is the opposite of self-contained. It's completely, it's completely devolved. It's completely at everyone's disposal. And in a strange way, he kind of achieves the thing he says that he wants to do in 1940 when he's called up by Churchill. Churchill says, he says, oh, we need a tank army with this many tanks. And in a weird, in a strange way, Hobart realizes that by going at it completely the other, by going at it completely differently, which is like my armor is at your, at the army's disposal rather than an armored army yeah, with yeah, some yeah. infantry in. Yeah. And the, 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 the What's really interesting about it is the is the things they figured out by for 1919 for Plan 1919, armored personnel carriers, you know, tanks properly devolved and integrated into um uh into you know it, with infantry formations and all yep. that just gets forgotten about and and by the time 45 comes round, you know, when 79th Armored are invisible because they're literally in every battle, they're literally in every single battle. Yep. In, in Northwest Europe, there's there's people from it, and whether it's buffaloes or whatever, mm-hmm. they're just they're doing it all. And of course, it's it's no coincidence that he's a sapper by origin, because it's got that re yeah, kind yeah. of thing about it. Sort of stamp on it, hasn't it? Well, you're present, you're present at everything, and you're fi- you're solving the problems that the infantry need solving, and all that sort of stuff. Really, really interesting. Just that simple aspect of it, but 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 he ends up he change. And what's brilliant about Hobart is he changes his thinking. Because he really is one of the, he really is one of the tanks on their own people, from from the late thirties. Just just get me some tanks and or tanks with some anti aircraft guns and maybe some maybe some bust infantry. But it's a tank formation, like a pan like the yeah. the idea of a Panzer uh, division, whatever. But he ends up right at the other end of the scale. Shape, but he changes his thinking, and that in the end is the thing that that's the end in the end that the British Army has to change its thinking. Over and over and over and over and over again, and and wins, having changed <laughs> its thinking. You know, I mean, without without sounding like a like an idiot, and you could look at you could look at the German army doesn't change its thinking very much, or seems not to. Well, it goes course, it, go, it goes from moving forward to kind of defence, doesn't it? But the same principles, yeah. you know, always counterattack. You know, be always yeah. be aggressive. 
Yeah. Um, you know, expect too much of your men. I mean, those are all absolute constants, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I think even if they had the luxury of manpower and they weren't stretched, I still think they'd expect too much of them. I don't but think d- give them regular but, leave and all those kind of things. Yeah. But what's also what's also in the mix, of course, with Hobart is that the, is that questions of his personal life absolutely dominate his career. Yeah. In a way that I don't know. Would they now? I don't. I don't know. You know. Um, it, it 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 it's it's very peculiar. And you know, he's got all these people basically writing him off because he because of because he's a correspondent in a divorce. You know, um, uh, Wavell's wife writes him off. For that reason, yeah, I think it's really, 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 really interesting. Doesn't That's like amazing, it. isn't it? Yeah, and he's the he's the guy doing the thinking and the training and all the all the mm. all the work on armored formations. He really is, and yeah. he's doing everything. You know, and he gets he basically creates Seventh Armored Division. You know, creates the Desert Rats out of out yeah. of the yeah. you know Desert Farce and all that. He does that, but they still don't like him because of his marital situation. Because of his, cause and he never life. wrote anything down, did he? I mean, are, are his papers somewhere? There, there, there mean, are papers and letters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, there are. Yeah, I mean, Bobbington's got you know the Tank Museum have got some down in their archives. Yeah, he's a vigorous correspondent, you know, wrote, right. uh, uh, wrote, and told his wife everything as well. And of course, there's hmm. the, the you know there's the whole business that Monty had married Hobart's sister, so he's yes. got that. But he's got that peculiar relationship with Montgomery where he goes, oh, I go to see the I, – I was privileged enough to go see the, the mighty Monty today, the Generalissimo has finally granted me an audience and all this sort of thing because <laughs> he finds him funny <laughs> but, but, but knows him. So he's able, able to joke like that. I mean, it's a very, yeah. very interesting insight because he, he's obviously seen Montgomery's star rise when his own was actually – when his had been snuffed out. Yeah. You know, and there's the whole thing where he's relying on Churchill's patronage, which isn't enough. Um, uh, at the start of the war, actually, it's not right. quite enough. You, st- you need Brooke. Once Brooke's once Brooke's on side, you're okay. But I, he's he's such. I just think the funnies the funnies become the norm. They stop being funny. They they become the yeah. norm of how you do things. And yet and yet, you know, they're they're a sort of D Day. Did you know about D Day? Sort of I- I- interesting quirkical about you know quirky thing about D Days. These funny tanks that were invented, but then they carry on using them forever. Wow! They, yes, because absolutely. they're so useful and they're so good at what they do. Yeah, amazing. And all I mean, what's really interesting is when he, when he, you know, when he, when he uh, uh, starts retraining the division, he's got all these sort of hussars and people going, "Yeah, but I'm we're we're here to do swanning. We're yeah. we're a, we're we're a breakout formation, guys. No, you're not not anymore. Sorry." You've got minefields to clear, and they're all the crews are all really angry about it. The, the officers are quite angry about it. Think they're being think they're being deglamorized and that sort of thing. But what a what a role! I mean, what a job! Yeah. I mean, in terms yeah. of sort of importance and yeah, value. Yeah. And well, and shows, shows yeah, and that this whole thing that he in the end, you know, you give that you give that job to him because you know what a brilliant trainer is. He knows he's going to apply himself, and he's able to put that beyond his previous theorising, which I think is really interesting. I can't remember. What, what happened to him after the war? He didn't live that long, did he? No, he didn't, no. So he did a bit more sort of tank R&D after the war, a couple of years of that. Then he left. He tried to become a historian, mm. interestingly, and then he died of cancer, I mean, sort of five, six years after the war, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's very sad, isn't it? And, yeah, and and not, not, not relegated from the record, but sort of turned into this kind of like quirky chat with the Pike staff. Yes, but, it's know, sort of good old-fashioned British eccentricity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but in you fact... Know, which, which is sort of admiring, but also kind of a bit demeaning in a way, because he's, well, he's so much yeah, more important and than also, that. And also, you know, makes it 
sound like I always think that the problem with the idea of putting it down to eccentricity is it makes it sound like um, if you're a hard nosed professional, some eccentric's going to beat you beat you to the punch. So yes. what's the point of being a hard nosed professional? Whereas in yeah. fact he was a hard nosed professional. Yeah, he, he was absolutely a was. Wasn't absolute he? bastard yeah. of a man, you know. Yeah, and that and I think that comes across really, really well. Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant book, Al. Well, I, I really, you. I, I, you know, my hat goes off to you. Um, I think it's a really, really. It's it's a proper proper history book. It really is. Right. And oh, thank you. Deserves a, to do really really well. High praise indeed. Thank you very much. Well, um, you know, uh, for what it's worth. That's probably not. You, well, no. Um, what was I going to say? So I was in Leeds. Oh yeah, in Leeds. Yes, yeah, tell about Leeds. I was at the Armouries in Leeds, and um, uh, and I was I got got to the very end of a small arms, dis, you know, display of you know from before the Brown Bess up to the yep. SA eighty sort of thing. You know, yeah. So, and I asked the asked the guy, what, what's the wood on the short magazine Lee Enfield? And he didn't know. I said, well, where's right. it from? And he didn't know. He said, you uh, know, that's a good it? question. Why not? Right. So while I was being a pain in the ass, there's another guy. Go on, just like, there's, Well, yeah, where is the wood from? What wood is it? It's a hardwood of some kind. But where are they getting it from? Because it's an imperial product. Yeah. Anyway, this bloke goes, starts, gets talking. And we get talking. We get chatting. And he goes, are you who I think you are? And all this sort of stuff. And he goes, oh, my grandpa was in, um, my grandpa was a chindit. No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You mentioned I this said, on the WhatsApp group. I said, really? He goes, yeah, he's a chindit. Yeah, he's a chindit. Um, and his grandpa had refused his medals. because, Well, basically, you had yeah, to send off. Yeah, I love off, that. I love that. You had, it's you so had to send brilliant. Off, you, had to send off, you, had to, you had to send off his medals. So he didn't send off his medals because his view was, they're not going to send me my medals. I'm not going to ask for them. Yeah, think, oh. I just love that. It's just like old school cussedness, isn't it? Yeah, but he was a sergeant when he was seventeen. This guy, wow, his grandpa. But but and then the guy goes, but I haven't. Really, I don't really know much about the Chindits because I'm going which expedition, which brigade, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't know. I haven't really looked into it. So then I've so then I pulled up a screen grab of Chindit by Richard Road James, nice, <laughs> and said, you need to you need to read this, mate. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. This is, this is what it's all about. But, it's cool, interesting... it? but did you yeah. find out about the wood? No. The guy needs, I need to go away and figure that out. <laughs> I know who would know. Um, Lieutenant Colonel retired John Stevenson. Um, I thought, I thought it, was a, it struck me as an interesting question because the, the steel's really got to come from somewhere, the brass has got to come from somewhere yeah. else. Where's the wood from? And if you're making them in Canada, you know, what are you using? Is it mahogany? No, too heavy. Well, it looks like it might be, but it's got to be a hardwood of some kind. Because it's got to take the, sh- the well, vibration. I, thought, I just never even. I've just. It just is. Yeah, exactly. So much anyway, that's like all that. we. That's all we've got time for. Maybe someone out there knows and can, can uh, say it's. Well, one thing we should say is this is going to go out on fools. Tuesday and yeah. uh, on the fourth of October, which means that this evening, this evening, yeah, Tuesday evening, yeah. <laughs> this evening, um, you and I are. Well, Guildford at the book festival talking about the book. I'm, again. I'm just prodding you gently, aren't I, in questions yeah. about? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I might like read a little bit. Then... <laughs> Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. I can't, I can't handle it. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, uh, we'll see you all again very soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.